Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Curtis Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. And welcome back to Lines Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me still is Francis. Hello, hey. Fra- I am. I am ready to learn some American history. Oh boy, um, I love I love American history, Joe. Like I love I love every to to learn about just what bastards we are. Yeah, it's always fun whenever I do an episode like this, um, or episodes rather. This is part two of our series in the Battle of Little Bighorn uh, because I can no longer control myself. Um, <laughs> it could have been worse. It could have been. A, it could have been a seven. Uh, a, see, and that's the thing. You could have made it one. You could have made it seven. But you settled for three. And that's. I, the, I find that three is the sweet spot. Um, I say as I literally just finished publishing a five-week long series. Look, three three does seem like it's the perfect amount. It doesn't overstay its welcome. We can move on to something else. But definitely, this deserved more than one. Because, yeah, if we just talked about, like, how dumb uh, Custer was and then the fight and then the battle, you got to you got to marinate on a little bit. You know, you need a little bit of backstory and then wait a week and then get a little bit more. And, you know, before we finally, you know, bust our nut and canoe the fuck out of this guy. Yeah, I I really. um, (laughs) uh, Some vivid imagery there for you. Got to clap them Custer cheeks. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Like and and next week's episode is fully dedicated to the idiocy of of George Armstrong Custer, um, but I think that there's a lot of it, a lot of context missing when you look at the Battle of Little Bighorn, um, it, like under a microscope. You especially what we're going to talk about this week, it really sets the stage for all of the dumb shit that's about to happen. Um, but I have a drop for this. Last time on the podcast, the sins of the American Empire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all three of these parts. Uh, I always like doing these episodes because I, there's always a one brand of weirdo you piss off with, no matter what genre of history. Even like my history of Armenia subseries over on Patreon pisses people off from time to time, and I find like American history nerds are always the funniest. Uh, they're they're not the most annoying. I feel like that probably goes to Confederates or the Japanese nationalists. Um, but like they're always the funniest because they're like, yeah, Custer helped do a genocide, but he died a hero. Like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> we have we have very different ideas of what a hero is. But yeah, you know, and that's and that's the thing. That's why I love. Uh, uh, I don't call it history. I call it American mythology, man. Because that's yeah. that's all this is is a bunch of like, did these things happen? I mean, in a manner of speaking, yes. Did they happen in the way that you think they are? Like, you know, Paul Revere and his ride, Midnight Ride. And, you know, uh, uh, does all these, all these like 
wonderful, beautiful things we learned about the history of America. And then you'd find out that like George Washington was crazy and horny for war constantly. And um, I don't think and Paul Revere even did. Teeth. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> ripped ripped uh, teeth out of other human beings because he needed his own. He needed teeth. Honestly, if you put that in like a sci-fi novel where like uh, like uh, the antagonist had a mouthful of stolen teeth, I, my editor would tell me it's over the top. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's if you make the bad guy the guy with stolen teeth. Like right. you can't make the the good guys walking around with a head full of stolen teeth. I, I don't have a lot of positive things to say about George Armstrong Custer. However, he did do a whole lot of work to make sure he'd fucking die. <laughs> but we're not quite there yet. When we left you last time, the United States had manufactured a war against the allied tribes of the greater uh, Great Plains area, uh, the Lakota, um, Cheyenne, Arapaho, and others. Um, and and that all of this was in order to steal the Black Hills of North Dakota so they could extract gold, timber, and other resources from it and finally force these tribes onto reservations once and for all, it complete the generations-long genocide uh, that the, uh, the government had been striving for. Uh, the native refusal uh, to move back onto these reservations as ordered by the federal government, which I should remind you, was illegal, uh, despite the fact that uh, it, in, like, it was, they knew, like, of course, they knew that this, the natives simply wouldn't or couldn't be able to, uh, to do this uh, because of the time of the year, their way of life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The war was on purpose. In February of 1876, General Sheridan telegrammed Generals Crook and Terry, ordering them to begin their winter military operations against the Allied tribes. I'm going to use the, the term Allied because uh, a lot of you just hear people uh, say like Lakota. It's very uh, reductive. There's a lot of other people at play here. And generally, there's a tentative alliance in place. So I'm going to go with Allied tribes. Yeah, the, the, the alliance of fuck those guys over there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a greater unifying theory of fuck that guy. It's what this podcast right. is built on. We could kill each other, but also that guy's going to try to kill both of us. So let's kill that motherfucker first. And just like there's tribes that ally themselves with the United States because as much as they hate white people, they're like, okay, but fuck the Cheyenne <laughs> and the Lakota, right? Yeah. The, the entirety of Cortez uh, overtaking the Aztecs was a bunch of Aztecs were like, uh, yeah, dude, you want to be on our side and kill the fuck out of some uh, uh, our rival tribes? Now, uh, launching this winter military operation was no easy task. Um, the U.S. Army couldn't really move in winter any easier than the Native Americans could. Not to mention, they'd been in largely garrison duty for years. Uh, this is a system of forts that had been built around the Sioux Reservation and accompanying unceded territory. And this uh, duty fucking sucked, to put it lightly. They literally just sat around uh, doing mostly manual labor and trying not to die of some various diseases. Um, uh, it's a lot like being in the, um, like the Wild West or whatever. People think it's like gunfights around the clock and like horseback chases. In reality, it's like, well, I have chlamydia again. <laughs> uh, I yeah, don't have just, food. <laughs> you're just like, I, I really don't think... And, and certainly anti-vaxxers just do not have the concept of like, do you know how much we used to just die? Because like it, we were still shitting where we drank water like 200 years ago. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> at, at this point, people really weren't sure how to prevent many diseases. Um, 
other than uh, like drink water that's moving and right. don't stay inside the same fetid building with all the sick people. Like, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, not great. Is it's it's not great, and and I meant to ask this, Joe, um, and, and I hope this isn't too much of a sidebar, but like, when when did when did the like crossover from like soldiers die just as much of like you know uh, cholera or typhoid or whatever into like I mean like like you know we didn't I got dysentery a couple of times, but I took some pills sure. and I was fine. So what's it the- probably would have killed you a hundred years ago. Right, exactly. Multiple, <laughs> like I would have died multiple times, um, yeah, hundred years course. ago. But like, so when was that crowd? Like World War One? Was that like the last time oh, no. when everybody was dying in trench foot? And then, um, it it's hard. I mean, it, the total casualty wise, disease and um, just general uh, just hardship definitely mm. was the main killer in World War Two as well for yeah. people in general, but for combatants. I'm not sure. I, I know in World War One, the uh, the vast majority of people died from disease and illnesses, and yeah. uh, maybe not died specifically, but were you know, became casualties of um, because you know uh, bad water supply, bad food supply, uh, living in a shitty dugout with some guy who's hacking into his lips. The fucking right. Spanish flu tore through the trenches. You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> You're eating literal rats, and and God knows what's crawling all over them. So yeah, everybody loves trench chicken. All right. Oh, um, I don't know if they call it that, but I hope they did. <laughs> it is now. Yeah, that's it's trench chicken now, get, baby. If you're an artist, get with me. Um, we're gonna make a sticker. <laughs> we're gonna make a trench chicken sticker. And put it in the store. I can't believe it's not trench chicken. <laughs> just, um, there's like two two uh, guys with like uh, a rat skewered on an old bayonet hanging over a fire. <laughs> and you know those rats got fucking huge too because they're eating well your food, but also like dead guys in no man's land. Yeah, they're, they're what, fat, ooh. man. It's uh, I wonder if that means they're marbled. Can we get yeah, some yeah. like Wagyu rat? <laughs> <laughs> this shit's, that shit's pasteurized at this point. You get you you have like a, a fucking Joe in the trench, like massaging a rat as he's feeding him <laughs> food. Like you got to get the marbling just right, homie. Yeah, what is uh, uh uh what is it where you fatten up a goose and eat the liver? Oh, foie gras, or whatever. Foie gras, yeah. <laughs> Just pumping MREs <laughs> directly into a rat's stomach. <laughs> the MREs are so bad. We'd rather eat rather eat the rat after he eats it. Well, I mean, look, what else are you supposed to do with the omelet MRE other than feed it to a rat? I I actually have a picture of this, but I I, I probably have told this story in the podcast before because after four years, I feel like I'm just repeating myself. But um, I was at like a pretty remote outpost uh, in the east of Afghanistan, and like someone chucked me up an MRE uh, while I was on guard one day, and uh, like it was the the veggie one because the guy hated me and he did it on purpose. (laughs) So like, but thankfully, uh, outside of the veggie itself, everything in the MRE is pretty good. Yeah, it is. Uh, So you know, I do remember that. Has like good M and M's and whatever in it. Uh, I think it had jalapeno cheese and and bread. It was pretty good. It also, Um, I think that was the one that had the uh, bacon hash browns too. Did you forget those? Does that that sound right? I feel like I had that one at some point. That might have been a really old MRE. Anyway, way off topic. I apologize. But uh, I I opened the 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 veggie omelet. I gave it to a stray dog that lived on the (laughs) roof with me, and the dog would not fucking eat it. (laughs) And that dog looked like it was days away from death. Um, despite, I mean, I'm sure it had like some pretty horrific internal problems, but I fed it all the time because having a dog that's your friend on night watch is pretty good because he barks at things that aren't you. Um, but yeah, he wouldn't fucking touch the fetchy omelet. He's like, 
Man, fuck, this is animal abuse. Fuck you. It's like that's uh, not technically food. I don't think. It's like <laughs> I eat my like, own shit. And I'm turning that down. <laughs> I see no difference between this and a uh, literal rock that it's sitting next it, to, a rock or something. Uh, one is uh, has veggie chunks in it. I don't know. Anyway, speaking of bad garrisons to be a part of, um, they had to like march from uh, one fort to another to kind of collect all the various companies that were strung out at these places. So it was kind of like a conga line to pick up everybody along the way and form them into an attacking army, which I should point out, none of these guys have ever been a part of before other than their officers. Like there's a lot of Civil War veterans and shit, but like none of the soldiers have been a part of like a major military operation before. Um, General Terry was at the f- at the south at uh, Fort Fetterman, uh, I assume named after the gigantic guy from uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, the, the instead of wearing the Union blues, you wear uh, a hoodie and shorts there. Yeah, yeah, it's just a car. It's just an angry guy with a goatee and a Carhartt. <laughs> um, and uh, there, uh, the other general was in the east at Fort Abraham Lincoln, uh, and another commander, Colonel John Gibbon, was commanding uh, coming from the west uh, with probably the longest overland march from Fort Shaw, which was on the Sun River in what was today Montana. Though uh, most of these commanders, like I said, would have to make a whole bunch of different stops along the way. Uh, they couldn't just like hit the logistics button and suddenly be able to launch a ma- major military operation. Though, this is, again, these guys were all on like sentry duty. And you got to walk to all these places, right? Like everybody's just, all right, we picked up everybody from this base. I guess, I guess he's like, okay, like half of you going to come, half of you going to stay on the base and do it like that. Or they just empty out the forts completely. Uh, I think they left like a skeleton crew. Um, right. And some of them did have horses, like a lot of cavalry units, but a lot of guys are just like on their Chevrolet legs. Like shit sucks. Yeah. Just, just walk in Montana, baby. And your yeah. foot ramps. Montana in, in the middle of fucking winter. Like, Ugh. God damn it. Uh, another small hitch in the matter was uh, the hundreds of native scouts uh, that had been uh, in the ranks of the military at the time, most of whom were Crow. Now, many of these detachments absolutely refused to go out once they realized how big this operation was. Like, whoa, buddy, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> um, and they're like, okay, we'll go, but you have to like triple our money on the spot. And the army's like, fine, fuck it, whatever. I'll pay you more. So, uh, yeah. Uh, the fir- some, some early overpaying of contractors. And to be fair, like the crew were absolutely aware of the uh, the position of strength they were coming from because without them, the army they knew the army was completely fucked, mm. and the army knew that too. So they're like, "Fine, take all the money. We don't care. Fine, um, we'll get you. We'll get you fuel for your Hiluxes." It's <laughs> <laughs> just the same thing as like being shaken down by like an ANA guy. It's just like, uh, we'd love to go with you on this patrol, but uh, we don't have any bullets, guns, or gas. Did you guys have those things? But I did show up wearing my boots this time. Yeah, I brought I brought my boots and I brought a lot of opium. <laughs> I, I'll never forget. I went on a patrol and like as like a team leader, I had to go and talk to like the ANA uh, uh, squad leader or whatever. And uh, I'm like, hey, man, uh, are all your guys good? He's like, yeah, yeah. And like, we didn't believe them because this wasn't like a <laughs> good pandemic or anything. Uh, so I went and like, grabbed this guy's like load bearing faster because it was very very light and i pulled out all of his magazines were empty um (laughs) and through our interpreter he's like well bullets are heavy i'm like "Uh uh-huh fucking throw your m16 at him yeah he was high too so that probably didn't help Um, he's not he's also not wrong no he's not wrong bullets are fucking heavy bullets are (laughs) heavy. heavy i'll give him that he's he's right He's technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. 
Now, this is in early April, which I'm not really from this area uh, of the United States. I've never really been through it. I know the Midwest is still quite cold in April, but this area is very fucking cold. Um, not to mention this is this is before the you know, creature comforts uh, of really any kind of life in the plains outside of like the Native American way of life was prevalent, which of course the Americans are not going to be uh, doing or have any knowledge of. Because why would they? How uh, so? So what? What year is it? It is in the 1870s. 1870s. Okay. Yeah. In that general area, and they're just. Tromping around in the winter of all things. What is it, Joe? What is it about like militaries in winter and not figuring out winter's fucking cold? Well, it's it wasn't considered normal to do this. Um, okay. The reason the reason for launching their offensive in the winter was because the Nat- uh, Native Americans during the winter would set down camp um, and they wouldn't move as much. So their idea was like, well, if we catch them in their villages. Um, we can like end this rebellion, quote unquote rebellion, once and for all uh, by raiding these large villages and and force them all into the reservations. Because as things warm up, they break camp. There's not as many of them all together at once, and this that eventually leads them into the kind of guerrilla warfare that the army is notoriously not good at. Mm, not not good um, at at all. And, you know, the whole plan boiled down to this really sucks in the winter. Therefore, it will really suck for them, too. <laughs> ah, we shot him. If we both put our feet on top of each other and shoot the bullet, we'll both be have a hole in our fucking foot. Real. that And, and that is some that is some real like 1870s army logic, too. Yeah, it requires a healthful hatred for your own uh, for your own soldiers, which officers have no end of. Um, <laughs> and meanwhile, like Native Americans, just trying to survive the winter, like they're not hunting so much as much as they're like eating things that they've cured or, or stocked up, living in in lodges. Uh, yeah, they're not they're not launching a war. Um, of course, there's the there's bands or you know known as quote unquote hostile bands and tribes that had no intention ever moving in the reservation because fuck that why should they um which yeah why the fuck should they yeah uh, but they they weren't exactly going to launch a goddamn military offensive in the winter either it's cold uh, so the this is uh, this fully invented by the army so the army in in a way was correct that uh yeah it would suck for the natives too Yes, they knocked that uh, one out of the park. They got it. You, can, you figured it out. Sun Tzu would be very proud. <laughs> if it is cold, people will not want to fight. Oh, I thank you, Sun Tzu, you fucking genius. Next, are you going to tell me to outnumber my enemy? Thanks. I, can th- <laughs> I didn't learn that in West Point. If you're close, make the enemy believe you're far away. And if you're far away, make the enemy believe you're co- close. God damn, dude. God damn. Yeah, can I get a license plate with this shit on it? My um, one of my favorite uh, passages in Sun Tzu is how to fool someone into believing you've stolen their nose. <laughs> uh, now the the U.S. columns were, were all converging on um, three rivers, one of which is more like a, a creek: uh, the Powder River, the Tongue River, and the Rosebed River. Kind of creek, creek, creek adjacent, whatever. Right, creekish. Um, yeah. Scouts had heard that they that the quote unquote hostile bands of Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, and others were all in that general area. Uh, so their idea was if we could rush all of these columns into this area, the hostiles would be would be mostly killed, and you know the the people who ran away fastest would then be forced under reservations. Because remember, 
their military objectives are literally villages full of civilians. Right. It's just, that just is murdering, what they're attacking. Yes. Murdering it, the shit out of anybody. Yeah, there there's no uh like, oh, hold your fire, there's women and children. Like there's none of that going on. Um uh so their idea, of course, is like if we go in and and crush these so-called hostiles, uh anybody else that's kind of sitting on the fence, if they want to go on the reservation or maybe like grab their hunting rifle and shoot at the white guy in the neighborhood, like they're gonna go into the reservation because we've we've taken out their their most well-known powerful warriors. Now, depending on whose account you read, what happens to General Terry is kind of for debate. Uh, reportedly, he got intelligence that native bands were camped around the Little Missouri River, which is not even remotely close to where they were. And this caused a detour, which slowed him down. Another account is that he got lost because his scout commander had ghosted him, which is the one I would like to believe. <laughs> um, another is that Colonel Gibbon uh, didn't like Terry. And was giving him purposefully vague intelligence, uh, and uh, while attempting to follow his intelligence, uh, he got lost. Regardless of what happened, he was very badly behind schedule for this whole thing. You can't be late to war, man. Can't be late. Yeah, he for was a war. very late to the war, and you know, honestly, I would respect him more if he's like, actually, I was late on purpose because I didn't want to fucking go. <laughs> like, well, all right. Uh, now, General Crook marched north from Fort Fetterman, commanding the soon-to-be ominously named Bighorn Expeditionary Force. Um, dun, dun, and- <laughs> dun. <laughs> Thankfully for Crook, he would have nothing to do with Bighorn for a reason that we will talk about later. Um, and from there, he experienced the first battle uh, against hostile forces, if you can call it that, on March 3rd. Around 200 native warriors appeared on horseback and attacked Crook's cattle formation. Now, this is still that point of of history where armies literally bring livestock with them to kill and eat um, because, you know, refrigerators aren't a thing yet. Shelf-stable food is more of just like hardtack and rotten beef. So Mm -hmm. it makes sense to bring around like hundreds of cows with you. And that's, you know, very wisely is what was was attacked by the warriors. Uh, they, They made off with... All of Crook's uh, livestock. Oh, like, boy. <laughs> I think like 200 head or 300 head of cattle, maybe more. Uh, for some reason, Crook had absolutely no soldiers guarding this very important, uh, important food source. Uh, and he left the job to two civilian cattlemen who found themselves squaring off with, again, 200 warriors on horseback. Freak house, guys. Here you go. Exactly. Yeah. One cattleman immediately realized, like, I'm getting the fuck out of here and rode away. The other one named John Wright decided, like, you shall not pass and mm. immediately got fucking connected to God's Wi-Fi. <laughs> like, I don't know what the fuck this guy was thinking. Like, the warriors weren't even after them. They were after the cattle because remember, like, it's winter their food might be running low because they hunted several months beforehand. Hey, look, a whole bunch of cows. Mm, look at all like, that fresh meat over there. They don't give a fuck about some cowboys hanging out there. Like, run yeah. off. I'm sure they'll let you go. Not worth it. Yeah. Wright got clapped, and then all of his cows got stolen. Uh, the next day, a blizzard dumped over a foot of snow on the Crook's army, and the temperature dropped so low that the thermometers that they brought with them couldn't actually read what it was anymore. Mm. This is generally known as bad. Um, (laughs) this caused them to detour towards Fort Reno, which had been abandoned by the army eight years before. So they could hide uh, inside and uh, wait for the, uh, the sun bitch slap of general winter to pass. And, uh, they settled in. So their plan is to hunker with no food. They have other provisions, but their best source of food is gone. That's for sure. 
I mean, don't get, don't get me wrong. They have a mad amount of like shitty hardtack and like lard <laughs> and shit. Like it's going to be a miserable existence going forward. Uh, I'm not going to be hungry. You're not going to be hungry, but you're going to wish that you uh, had that cow. You know what I mean? Sure. As they settled in for the night, the soldiers were shocked to find out that they were getting shot at by warriors. Now, uh, this is shocking for more than one reason and ones that like seem kind of dumb unless you know the context. Um Winter warfare for native warriors was pretty unheard of. Um, and they also generally didn't like to fight the army at night. Uh, so like to have this happen at the same time was like, oh, God, what's happening? Now, this is mostly harassing fire, which is generally what the uh, native warriors like to do just to fuck with people. I mean, they might take a couple people out, but you're also not sleeping. Yeah. Just I mean, it's just like indirect fire, you know, just yeah, probably not going to hit me, but sure. The show the fuck made me wake up at three o'clock in the morning and have to stand around in my underwear for 45 minutes. It's very annoying. It's it's like whenever like a Taliban dude would shoot at you from like a half mile away. He's not going <laughs> to hit anything. He's playing firefight. He he just wants to let you know that he's still there. All right. And he's just, you know, hey, just how else is he supposed to get his combat infantry badge? If That's he doesn't right. actually engage that. <laughs> the, the, the Taliban ribbon chaser. Yeah. Hey, hey, you know what? At least he did fire something. And he's not just fudging his reports to send up to send up to the Taliban talk. And you know what? Who are we to judge? He won, not us. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, he got us there. Um, and like now this should have been a clue for all of these soldiers hunkered into Fort Reno. Like things are different now. Like <laughs> the the Native Americans sure are fighting us differently. Maybe we should learn. So of course they, they ignored all of that. After setting up their logistics space at Reno, they uh Fort Reno, not the the littlest big city in Nevada or whatever the fuck is that's what it's called, right? The littlest big city. So yeah, the um we're sorry we're not Las Vegas. Yeah, the only thing I know about Reno is one of the most annoying person uh, people I knew who was in the military was from Reno, and he never shut up about how he was from Reno. Uh, that's all I know about that place. Now, they set up their, their logistics base at Reno, and they set up again towards the Tongue River where uh, it met the Prairie Dog Creek. Now, unlike Terry, Crook had, been, had a legendary scout at his disposal named Frank Gerard. Um, I'm sure I pronounced that one right. Sorry, Frank. Now, Frank was actually Polynesian, of all things. I was going to say, that sounds real French, but uh, all right, a Polynesian guy in the middle of uh, are we Montana, I believe. Getting close to, yeah, yeah, the, okay. general, the general Great Plains region. Now, how he got there is even weirder. <laughs> um, he, he was half Polynesian. Uh, his, uh, I believe it was his mom, his dad was a Mormon missionary, which... <laughs> it's unfortunately very common in Polynesian history. Yeah. Um, before they moved to, yes, Utah, uh, he got there, realized, wow, Utah sucks and ran away from home. Uh, once that happened, he got kidnapped by a band of Ogala Lakota, uh, taking the name Sitting with Upraised Hands. And he learned their language fluently, though I need to point out here, he was not a peaceful house guest. He was definitely kidnapped and held against his will. Right. <laughs> um, and he was there for several years before he finally escaped. However, he got to know a lot of the people involved in this war and uh, he became such a, a well-known scout and not to mention he spoke the language fluently that like Sitting Bull knew him by name and had a standing bounty on his head. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, while in this area, uh, Frank saw what he thought were two uh, Lakota scouts watching the soldiers, which to him meant Crazy Horse uh, must be camped nearby. 
Now, uh, Crook got his report and he split his force in half. Uh, now, he gave a section uh, over 300 men over to Colonel Joseph Reynolds, gave them a day of rations and sent them towards the Powder River where the scouts were trailing the enemy. And they believed that there was a large, you know, crazy horse related camp there. Now, they did eventually find 100 lodges tucked uh, next to the river. And the Native Americans really did have no idea that they were coming. So they probably weren't scouts that he saw. I don't know what he saw. But if there were scouts, this camp already would have been cleared the fuck out. Yeah. Um, they had set set up there for their winter camp. And uh, because they had them dead to rights, that meant Reynolds could easily set up a plan where his 300 men could surround the village uh, and encircle them before launching an attack. But it's, you know, the 1800s. Once the various companies of men were split apart, there was no way for them to communicate. And instead, they were given a very strict timetable to launch their attack for 9.05 a.m. You want to guess how well that went? Synchronize their watches and everything so they could... uh... I don't know if they did, but they didn't work. Now, uh, this timetable immediately goes to shit. Um, and there's many companies, all of them launched their attacks separately and company, like the, a company size element is much different back then. Uh, like it's like 50 to 70 guys. And a lot of these are under strength because of frostbite disease, whatever. So company K of 47 people attacked at the correct time. Nobody else did. Uh, they attacked directly into the village, which was at least, uh, 200 people. Um, Though we have no idea how many were warriors, how many civilians. Though I should point out here that technically they're all civilians because native tribes didn't have a set up military. Also, right. they were just in their village trying to live their fucking lives. Right. Uh, what is a warrior but anybody who picks up a club and says, fuck you? Yeah, a warrior is a man that has a gun and sometimes not even a gun and also sometimes not a man. Uh, it's, it's, it's just like an quote-unquote armed combatant. Also, again, the American cavalry did not give a single fuck if someone was a man, a woman, a child, or armed or unarmed. They just shot anything that moved. Uh, According to One Leg, who is a native man in the village, described the attack as, quote, women screamed, children cried for their mothers. Old people tottered and hobbled away to get out of the reach of the bullets singing among the lodges. Braves seized whatever weapons they had and tried to meet the attack. And the only thing that saved Company K from probably just getting absolutely hosed was the fact that the village was taken completely off guard and uh, warriors ran for the high ground so they could fire down on the soldiers once they were trapped inside the village, pinning them in place. And eventually the rest of uh, 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 the army showed up in their sweet ass time. Everybody else's alarms went off suddenly. Yeah. Like, hey, you guys hear gunshots? Oh, shit. (laughs) Uh, Reynolds ordered everything in the village to be destroyed, including food that the natives would need to survive the winter. And if that wasn't enough, they literally stole the clothes off of their backs. The destruction went on for five hours and Reynolds ordered his force to withdraw, but not before stealing 700 horses that the village had as well. Now, we're not entirely sure of the casualty rate of the battle, if you want to call it that, because it's really not a battle. They raided a town and then burnt it to the ground. That's what we call a massacre. Yeah, the, the massacre is certainly a word that fits. Um, and then they drove them into the uh, harsh environment, virtually naked, with no winter clothing or food or horses. Um, and from Native accounts, dozens of people died from exposure after this. Um, as for the American side, four people were killed. 
Uh, those 70 soldiers were sidelined with frostbite because, yeah, <laughs> they don't have winter clothing either. And uh, there was a, at least a couple dozen people that had to go get things hacked off of them. Not sure exactly how serious m- many of the other frostbite cases were. Though a wounded man was left behind. A wounded American soldier was left behind. And two of his friends went back to get him, which they ran directly into a group of uh, of warriors who captured them and did things I can only describe to you as yikes. <laughs> <laughs> or as I call, fucking around and finding out. He didn't have to go back, guys. He should have. Like, I, I understand. I get it. Like. Going back for your buddy. Should have taken him with you, though. Should have yeah, taken Don't him. leave him in the first place, maybe. Or mm, yeah. or maybe there's like a karmic justice that comes to raiding a Native American village and then going back and getting your fucking dick sawn off. I don't know. Like, Is that what happened to them? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was real bad. They're really sawing my dick off. Like, literally. Literally, they're doing it right now. Buddy, you are really chopping my balls off. Uh, yeah, they they did some really fucked up shit. And you know what? Yeah, of course they did. You just raided their village and killed their families. What do you think they're going to be like, oh, friend, you're looking for your wounded buddy that we were taking care of? No. <laughs> you know, it's 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 not really a time for a lot of high intelligence uh, from 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 our, especially our military members. Look, man, I love you, Joe, but I'm not going back if uh, if the Lakota are around. No, man, if you fall wounded while raiding a a Native American village, by the time someone realizes that you're missing and is going back for you, you've already died in unspeakable ways. (laughs) And you know what? You would have deserved it. We left a wounded guy back there. Mm, Don't think we did. Don't Don't think think he's wounded anymore. anymore. (laughs) And if he is, he won't be for long. Not a lot of of POW transfers going on there. Uh, Now... As fucked up as the situation was, here comes a bit of rare comeuppance, if barely. Uh, Reynolds was eventually court-martialed for the battle, and I'm sure you already know it's not for all of the horrific genocidal violence. Because um, he went yeah. too early. Yeah, it was it, That was part of it, but for also <laughs> uh, burning the village, and not because that he burned the village, as in, how could you think of the people that were driven into the snow, but because the army was supposed to steal everything, not burn it. Like that was common practice to like steal the horse feed, steal their food, steal their clothes. Um, and he burned it instead. That's why he got in trouble. And also his soldiers lost the 700 horses they stole, which again, the army would press into military service. Yeah. So that's why he got in trouble. Not for, you know, yeah, being, you lost. being great planes Himmler or whatever. Those were perfectly good houses. And well, I mean, and that, I guess that's why they steal the clothes too. You take the clothes, it's like you take everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, uh, Custer was pretty famous for wearing like native uh, winter jackets and stuff uh, because he stole them and they were better than a shitty woolen uniform. Yeah. I mean, everything that the natives have is way better than whatever the American. I, I, I don't know what it is about like Europeans and then, you know, offshoot to Americans about just everything being just fucking ghastly. Like they're, they're, everything's uncomfortable and like. You smell bad all the time because no one like washes their balls. Like I don't, I don't understand the entire culture that we come from. Joe. Well, that I come from, you're Armenian. You get to escape from this nonsense. Oh, I mean, we have a, we have a very long history of probably smelling terrible, um, <laughs> but <laughs> everybody smelled bad. Um, like that, that's the, like, there's a lot of, um, 
mysticism that goes into uh, especially uh, communities that aren't ours to like, so you can say how, how bad our community is in uh, comparison to, but like in the 1800s, man, everybody smelled like shit and was full of parasites. Like there, nobody was free. <laughs> like I think, and the thing is, is like, yeah, it, it, like it, when you read firsthand accounts of like one civilization meeting the other, your habits will be different. Um, some people will smell differently and they'll be like, ugh, gross. That still fucking happens today. When it's like, no, that's they're normal where they're from. You're simply different. Uh, and it's not a good or a bad unless you're, I don't know, from Ohio. That's bad. <laughs> there, I got my one in per episode. Um, and every time I go to Ohio, I'm like, oh, you people are disgusting. <laughs> what is with this? What is this, the, the, the general smell of this state? Failure. You know what I'm talking. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Actually, I have no idea. I've at this point my my cartoonish hatred for Ohio is just one four year long bit that I can't give up at this point. The only thing that probably saved um, Reynolds from any real punishment because he was about to get thrown out of the army, which was actually much easier to do back then for colonels and generals and shit. Um, was that he had gone to West Point with uh, Ulysses S. Grant, who was president, so he got to retire with a pension. Uh, but he was found guilty for everything. Not that that really well, matters. Well, good good for us. Justice was served. Yeah. I mean, when you're an officer in the military, that is justice. Is that <laughs> smack said, on your hand, you get a pension. Right. We admit that what you did was wrong, but not for the reasons you think, but they were wrong. <laughs> now, the Bighorn Expedition was a complete and total failure for reasons that, for not reasons you probably think, like this hadn't been running into a massacre yet. Uh, for starters, remember how I said that they were supposed to be attacking a very specific band of what they considered hostile Native Americans, and that's what they you know, massacred in that village. But that wasn't who was there at all. While that was a village, obviously, uh, of Cheyenne and Lakota Sioux, neither Sitting Bull or Crazy Horse was anywhere nearby. Instead, it was a village of completely random people the government had no knowledge of, uh, led by Two Moon, He Dog, Little Wad, and um, Wooden Leg. All of whom were uh, for uh, different different kinds. Were like, I guess you consider them f- fence sitters. They weren't like down with a popular uprising. They wanted to be left alone. Um, Wooden Leg at one point even noted that they they were talking about moving onto the reservation, but they really didn't fucking want to. Uh, but after you storm through and kill their family and burn their village to the ground, they sure as fuck would now. Uh, yeah. They're full. They're fully on board with with like. All right, time to go shoot some white people. <laughs> funny, funny how uh, you know your your attempt to pacify somehow radicalized them. I wonder what the, I wonder what that was. Maybe don't worry, Francis. I'm sure we'll learn from our failures. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. At least in in Afghanistan, we we came up with the hearts and minds thing, and we dug some wells. I guess. The only Didn't, thing I'm thinking, to be fair, we did the same thing with natives for nefarious reasons. Um, but I'm the only thing I'm learning here is that we should <laughs> that the reservations need to build IEDs. <laughs> now, driven from their camp, uh, the survivors, starving and freezing, walked to the village of Crazy Horse further north, and they were welcomed with open arms. Led by Sitting Bull, the Allied Great Plains Force grew as American military movements and action displaced more and more Native Americans. All of this occurred as the Bighorn Expedition retreated, having largely failed back into Fort Fetterman for the rest of the winter and spring. Uh, they I, they finally realized, like, wow, this really isn't working in the winter, is it, folks? Let's uh, 
let's wait until we're not freezing to death. So they wait until June. In June, America set out again uh, for an invasion of the uh, the Powder and Bighorn River country with the same goal of defeating and driving the hostile bands back onto the reservation. This would end in a three-pronged assault on the Plains Allied Forces, which are loosely led by Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, and a few others that were situated around the Rosebud Creek. The American force was joined by some Shoshone and Crow warriors who, again, would act as scouts, but also really didn't fucking like the people that the Americans were fighting. Uh, they had their own internal politics that, of the greater unified fuck that guy theory, especially the Crow, who had been kind of nudged out of their territory and really wanted to get the revenge. And you know, when the U.S. shows up, that happens a lot um, everywhere for pretty much all of time. Like, hey, let's use these dumb white people to further our goals. They don't know any better. <laughs> now, this force eventually grew to be around 1,800 soldiers and warriors. Um, I, I guess you can get some auxiliaries, but warriors nonetheless. Um, however, the Americans' native allies warned General Crook that the Lakota and Cheyenne were all over this part of the woods, quote, as numerous as grass, and they should move very slowly to make sure they don't get ambushed. Do you want... You want to guess if they listen to them? Like, like quote, white on rice. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say they did not heed the warning. Only <laughs> nailed it. Uh, it's almost like I know what podcast I'm on. <laughs> Imagine the show like, uh, yeah, a, a non-white scout uh, went and told his, uh, his white boss like, hey, this is a really bad idea. The general's like, oh, you're right. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks. man. Yeah, we're going to go what, home now. What What do you think we should do? I mean, yes, you're my underling, but uh, I'm going to take in the information and knowledge you might have and add it to my own. No, no, no. I'm not going to do that. Some crow, do that. some crow warriors like, well, have you tried fucking off? Like, back to the <laughs> East Coast and then back across the Atlantic Ocean from whence you came? Um, now, this is where we have to talk about what is a tactic known as, quote, Indian fighting. Um, which is as gross as it sounds. Yeah, it's a fanciful word for war crimes, mostly. Okay, so this is them fighting the natives, not the natives fighting them. No, no, no. Uh, this is just what like you'll hear um, like post-Civil War generals will get called like famed, quote, Indian fighters. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, um, it's mostly because without a doubt, they're all bloodthirsty lunatics and committed right. unspeakable crimes across the Great Plains. Here's the genociders. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and then, you know, they'd get elected president eventually. Um, but the, the idea was, like we talked about before, was to strike villages and camps very quickly because white people believe that Native American warriors would run away from a fight. So you would ambush them or hit them where they lived before they could run. Now, this is obviously ghoulish as fuck. I don't need to go into that. Uh, obviously, warriors were not going to like form a line and slug it out with blue jacketed assholes that showed up in their backyard. That would be pointless. That's just not how they fought. But it did not mean that they ran away from, from combat. Obviously, this, it's the 1870s and we're still talking about wars against the government. They'll fight. Um, this is kind of like whenever anybody points at any irregular war in history and be like, well, if they just simply stood toe to toe with the army, they would lose. Yeah, no fucking shit. That's why they don't. 
Yeah, did you did you not again as we said earlier about the Taliban? Yeah, if the if it was like we lined up all the army soldiers and all the Taliban soldiers and we all shot at each other, we'd fucking win. But guess what? That's not yeah. how you win. It's called asymmetrical uh battle and uh you got to you, you got to sometimes you got to build a Native American technical. That'd be fucking rad. It's like a Model <laughs> T. Um like yeah, I mean of course they don't fight that way. That would be very stupid. Like no shit. They'll fucking um, lose. Yeah. However, like they did tactically withdraw from battle, but only to reform and skirmish on with coming soldiers. Like they would do this again and again, die like charging into battle, pulling back out, and then shooting at you as they ran away. This is this is not cowardice unless you're very <laughs> stupid or racist. Uh, this is actually a legendary fighting tactic known widely as the Parthian shot or the parting shot uh, because it's so it makes so much sense uh, to do this for fast moving lighter soldiers which native warriors were compared to American soldiers that you could just like literally run circles around a guy chasing after you and slowly whittle them down as they press the attack. This is so common sense for anybody in this situation that's been independently invented by like a dozen different fucking uh, civilizations <laughs> and never had contact with one another. Like, that's just how they would prefer to fight because that's how they, it works for them. Or like, you know, ambushes and guerrilla warfare because they're good at it and they're not going to stand toe to toes. You like wheel a Gatling gun around at them. Exactly. Like, these guys' dads and their grandparents and their great-grandparents have been shooting at white people since they showed up. <laughs> they know how they fight. They know how to fight. The granddad always knew how to kill a white man. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's now, why he Crook, was called uh, Kills White Man. <laughs> Crook's original plan was for the three prongs of the attack to fall on the Allied camp within the Bighorn Valley. The vast distances and lack of reliable communications made it difficult to coordinate, making the whole thing harder. Uh, was the small fact that uh, nobody actually knew where this camp was, like or the size of it. Like, eh, it's probably around there somewhere. Nobody could pinpoint it on a map. So while the scouts couldn't find the Allied camp, they did find evidence of a large Allied force uh, that was probably nearby, namely like horse shit, like in large, like in a trail, uh, depressed, uh, like hoof prints and stuff like that. Like a lot of people have ridden through here. Um, that's because uh, they they wanted to pinpoint exactly where the camp was. Cook wanted to get or Crook wanted to get as close as he possibly could. And move as silently as he could. Now, he was moving a thousand dudes, so it's not that silent. But like as silently as a thousand people could move, right? However, of course, Allied Scouts were already very well aware of his movements as far back as like early June. Uh, and Crazy Horse himself in his camp said if Three Star, which is what he called Crook because Three, three Star General, crossed the Tongue River, then it would be war and he would launch the attack. Like he would go on a military offensive, which is something that the Americans thought that Native Americans were simply incapable of because they're dumb. <laughs> Man, people have have died from their own dumb racism just a lot <laughs> in America. All the time. It'll continue to happen, baby. It's incredible that like America exists as it does, considering how stupid like the people in charge of it have been for an incredibly long time. I guess we're just like the one thing we're really good at is like ethnic cleansing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
military like if you build a very strong military and give them guns they don't have to be smart (laughs) (laughs) as we can both attest to (laughs) if that wasn't a big enough hint that crook's plan was going to be kind of fucked up from the beginning the scouts already tracking where he was um his soldiers and 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 native auxiliaries or, or or scouts Ruined it even further. Uh, on June 16th, Crook ordered his baggage train to be left behind because uh, it moved slowly, um, leaving some civilians to guard it. He then issued rations out for about a week to all of his soldiers, which is normally just like salted, shitty meat and hardtack. It's a bad, it's bad rations, man. How, like, and you know, timelessly, army rations aren't great. So when his soldiers and his uh, allied native warriors saw a herd of buffalo wander on by they opened fire on them <laughs> to like because to eat them i yeah, guess yeah yeah of course okay but you know when you're just firing rifles off when you're trying to sneak up on a couple hundred uh what you consider enemies that just means that you just broadcasted to everybody in that particular valley like hey assholes are over there <laughs> they're shooting at the buffaloes yeah on that same day, over a thousand Allied warriors set off from their camp near the Rosebud Creek uh, to f- confront old Three Stars and his hungry, hungry soldiers, who they now knew exactly where they were. Uh, between June 16th and 17th, uh, Crook was desperate to uh, press the march and close the gap between him and what he thought was a, a native village. Remember, he doesn't know where it is. Mm-hmm. He just figures if we continue to march hard in this one direction, we'll find it. Um, so he is having them march constantly. In one day, they march over 35 miles in the middle of June in Montana. Remember, all wearing horrible wool army uniforms and probably not carrying that much water. They, uh, they weren't in good shape. Sounds bad. Sounds like a real bad time. Now, while you're that tired, you start to do some very dumb things. Like, for instance, when the army stopped for a short rest, Crook gave no orders to form any kind of defenses whatsoever. He didn't even order anybody to pull sentry duty. So everybody just kind of like sat down on the ground, like desperate to stop sweating and being sunburned. Pure tactical brilliance. (laughs) Uh, And oh, they were also in the middle of a valley surrounded by high ground. So that's that's a tactically just a great place to be. And remember, like they they're under the understanding they are in enemy territory. So like great stuff all around, guys. Uh, That's when Crazy Horse's warriors began sniping at the resting soldiers. And if you didn't immediately get shot, they just ignored it because people who were far away assumed that, oh, there's just some asshole shooting at Buffalo again. Uh, that only changed after a couple minutes when a couple scouts ran back in the camp screaming that the Lakota were coming as the weight of the attacking ally tribe smashed directly into the <laughs> scout camp first because the Crow and Shoshone were smart and set their camp up on the high ground and put guards up on duty. Uh, and obviously, Crazy Horse wanted to take them out first because high ground, right? Now, Crazy Horse's force, which is around 1,500, mounted on horseback, smashed into the 260 or so Crow and Shoshone that had camped only 500 yards away from the main body of soldiers. Now, somehow, despite being massively outnumbered, these scouts jumped on their horses and fucking charged right back at Crazy Horse. Now, Crook wow. ordered uh, like his junior cavalry commander named Captain Anson Mills uh, of the 3rd Cavalry to immediately rush in and, sh- and support them because it would buy the, the rest of the force enough time to 
wake the fuck up and go do soldier stuff. Now, this also led to the event that the Battle of the Rosebud, as it's called uh, in English, gets its name to the Cheyenne, the battle where the girl saved her brother. Very literal uh, <laughs> naming convention, <laughs> which I could respect. Now, a warrior named Comes in Sight uh, had his horse shot uh, from out under him as Mill's uh, men rushed in to support the Crow and Shoshone. And he was about to be killed when his sister, Buffalo Calf Road Woman, charged in, guns a-blazing, uh, and rescued him. I would really like to believe she's like, got like revolvers akimbo or something. This pretty much suicidal counterattack, uh, led by Cro- the Crow, Shoshone, and Mills, gave the soldiers behind them enough time to wake up and regroup and get their asses onto a nearby hill where they could fight for more effectively. Now, this ruined Crazy Horse's plan for a quick and almost certainly decisive ambush should the scouts had not saved their fucking asses. However, Crook didn't really understand what was happening. He immediately uh, judged Crazy Horse and his attack being something completely different. He figured, I'm under attack. That must mean there are villages nearby, right? Because Sure, that's what a village does. It attacks you. Well, he believed that the only reason they could be attacking him is because they're near their village, not like launching a coordinated military offensive. Oh, like so it's kind of one of those um the the bird pretending that it's got a broken wing so it distracts you from the nest. That's what they're thinking right. here. Like he be- he was always under the belief that like the natives simply could not comprehend complex military tactics because racism, right? Like this simply- isn't just him. This is a military doctrine. That- and this is this is not like they didn't just meet the native americans is the crazy thing. Like they've been actively it's been hundreds fighting. of years <laughs> right actively fighting them but like you guys have been talking with the people who lived here for like a while now have you not figured out that they're not stupid not no, to mention they have fought countless conflicts not only with native americans as their enemies but as their allies too mm-hmm. like it's just wanton racism based ignorance um he believed that Crazy Horse had to be defending a nearby village, not that Crazy Horse was attacking him personally. So, like an idiot, Crook, despite being secure on a hilltop, diverted his forces in half to go out looking for this imaginary village, which I need to impress on you, did not exist. He had no, he had no hint of it actually existing. He just assumed it was there. They're sure of it though. They've got, they've got like a, they've got like a, an old timey treasure map from, from. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's like, it's here. It's here. I know it's here. Yeah. And, find you know, it. secure on a hilltop with their generally superior firearms and, you know, tactical training, despite the fact these soldiers aren't the best, but, you know, they can put up a, they can fire online and that will fuck up an attacking force on a hilltop. Um, Crazy Horse was probably in a bad spot at this point, but then suddenly out of nowhere, a whole bunch of assholes rode off the hill. He's like, oh, let's go attack them. And that's what they did, immediately surrounding them. Absolutely. Lieutenant Colonel William Royal, who was uh, uh, Crook's second in command, was leading this detachment, immediately got pinned down in a valley about a mile away from Crook's main body. Uh, And that is when Crazy Horse ordered a frontal charge. They came tearing down the valley and immediately broke Royal's forces. The, uh, The American soldiers like, like, fuck this, I'm out. We're getting on their horses and riding away. Um, and the only reason that this did not end in like a, a mini little big horn type massacre, actually, if this, if this would have happened this way, 
a little little bighorn. Uh, yeah, li- a littler bighorn. Um, a little little horn. I don't fucking know. Um, a little little bighorn. Anyway, actually, I'll sorry. go on a I'll go on, on another uh, uh, branch here and say if this was successful, it would have been caused a big enough black eye to the U.S. Army that little bighorn never would have happened because they're like, all right, let's go talk to these guys. The war's not going well because um, this would have been like you know fifty dead soldiers, which is really fucking bad for PR, mm-hmm. right? Um, but as they tore down the valley and the American shoulders broke and ran, guess who saved their fucking asses again? But the Crow and Shoshone, who probably sighing and rolling their eyes at this point, jumped back <laughs> on their horses and charged directly back into the enemy and, and like fought a rear guard action that gave Royal and his men enough time to get away. It's like hard to believe you're not doing it on purpose at this point, guys. You're just, you're just so bad at this. We have to hold the white people's hands again. God damn it. <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be the good soldiers. Why did we pick to fight with you? Now, this battle began at 8 a.m. and went on until about 2.30 p.m. when the uh, forces under Crazy Horse finally realized that, nah, we're not going to win this. Time to pack it up and go home and left the battlefield. Their hopes of a breakthrough or their ability to surround the force uh, piece by piece was not really going to happen. Also, they were running low on ammo. At this point, everybody's up on Crux Hill position. And in another world, this battle ends very differently for another reason other than the one I already talked about. It was found that at this point, almost every single soldier in the battle was pretty much out of ammo uh, or down to their last few shots. Because each of them had only been issued around 100 rounds, which I know sounds like a lot. And they burned through that ammo in an impressively fast rate for a much dumber reason than you probably think. Shooting at Buffalo. Uh, well, that's one of them, sure. Which is also very stupid. So, is this is it both both sides are are having are having some ammo problems, or is it just the the American just just the 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 American government? Uh, both. Uh, but the American government would have ended worse uh, because mm. Native Americans also carried things like hatchets, daggers, right. and bows and arrows, uh, and they were much more comfortable fighting up close <laughs> than, than some like random eighteen year old Polish immigrant from New York. Right at this point, they're probably Irish. But now, one of the reasons for why the Americans went through so much ammo was actually how they were trained. Uh, now, soldiers were trained at a, a sterile firing range, right? Um, and when they were taught how to basically use their weapons and basic rifle marksmanship is pretty much all these guys got. Uh, now, they use these Springfield modeled 1873 trapdoor rifle and carbine, uh, and when they went to the range. It was super common for every soldier to take all of their ammo out of their cartridge cases on their belt and place it on the ground in front of them to make shooting and reloading much easier. Sure. Makes, that makes, makes sense at a firing range. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really fucking fucking up that muscle memory, though. Yeah, exactly. Now, on the battlefield, they found that soldiers were still doing this, which meant, you know, if you have to quickly displace and say, run onto a fucking hilltop and you've already taken... 30 fucking rounds out of your out of your belt and put them on the ground next to you you're not going to pick them up before you go you gotta run because you're about to catch a fucking arrow between the eyes right (laughs) Uh, and that's why um they marked that twenty five thousand rounds have been used during the battle however only somehow only 36 native warriors were killed so they're counting the lost bullets as used as well yes they assume that they fired them all however uh that's the that's the excuse I would give too, and not go to my sergeant and be like, uh, "I just left like another fistful of bullets back there." My bad. 
Well, a later investigation of the scene found very neat piles of bullets in all of the defensive <laughs> positions at the American. And this is actually something that isn't unique to the 1800s. Famously, there was a firefight um, between the FBI and uh, some guy in Florida. And they found that the FBI at the time still used revolvers. And whenever they went to the shooting range, because like FBI agents don't shoot their guns very often, they go to a very nice shooting range. Um, they fire off 10 rounds from their fucking revolver to qualify for the year. And then they leave. And every time that they would um, reload the revolvers, they would empty the cylinder into their hand and then put the shells in their pockets so they didn't have to pick them up later. Right. They there was no up. rapid reload. Yeah. There was no rapid reloading going on. Right. Mm-hmm. And they found that these FBI agents who I think two or three were killed had pockets full of empty brass because they were taking their time to continue to do what the, the habits they had built up. So mm-hmm. yeah, this isn't unique to some idiot cavalryman in the 1800s. People still fucking do it. Um, now the army lost around 30 people killed. Um, now this also counts in native scouts. Um, there was more native scouts killed, I believe than uh, American soldiers, but another 50 were wounded. And um, of course, Crook, uh, claim this as a as a major victory because he could play it as we've met the enemy and we've driven them from the field. It's like no, they left. <laughs> they um, fucked off because they were just kind of done with this. Yeah. Now uh, they also immediately withdrew from the field uh, as well, uh, stopping the search for the mysterious unfindable village that they claim they found, pulling all the way back to his camp at Sheridan, Wyoming, where they would stay for a month because of you know. The wound, the wounded, and the dead, and you know the black eye that he just suffered. The whole, um, the whole war losing thing. Yeah, it's a bad look. Little to no credit was given to any of the Native American allies for saving his command from complete destruction. <laughs> um, now, immediately after this, the Crow and the Shoshone that had been with him, like, man, fuck y'all, we're going home. Like they, they literally said, we don't care how much money you pay us, we are going home. This is stupid. Yep, we're done with it. Y'all can't fight. Like, I mean, if if you were a mercenary and you discovered that the people who hired you were just like incredibly bad at war, all you're going to see is like, these guys are going to get me killed and they're probably not going to have their money on time either. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense politically at this point for the Crow and the Shoshone to be like, look, we're going to set this one out. <laughs> it, really, it really seems like Crazy Horse might have your number on this one. We really don't want to piss him off. Um, and... Crook's force would be so badly beat up from this that they would not be able to take uh, part in the next phase of the operation, which is the important one. According to with Crook at the Rosebud, only a few hours after the battle, allied warriors returned to the battlefield and began pocketing all of the bullets and guns that had been left behind by the Americans, as well as stack up rocks and places of importance that they thought that should be remembered in storytelling and storytelling and stuff like that. And you can still find some of those stacks of rocks there today. Hmm. So that's kind of neat. So to end this episode, we actually have to jump back in time to be dramatic um, and for storytelling. We got to Tarantino this. I got you. Let's go. Um, so in the beginning of June, uh, now around June 5th-ish, nobody seems to agree in whether it's the 4th, 5th, or the 6th, the Sundance of 1876 was held. Now, the Sundance is a very important ceremony uh, that is done at the end of spring and beginning of summer that involves a very large gathering of an extensive community and surrounding communities of native Americans to pray and make offerings for future healing and safety. Um, Now 
This is different depending on who does it, of course, you know, different cultures, whatever. Um, but this can involve a lot of different things um, depending on which kind of ceremony it is and who's putting it on. Uh, it, it involves singing and dancing. But when I say dancing, let me be straight here. This is a fucking endurance contest. They don't dance like for like the end of their favorite song or whatever. They're dancing for literally days at a time until they collapse from exhaustion. Um, this is also sometimes involved fasting, uh, drinking vast quantities of alcohol or hallucinogens. Oh, yeah. Um, and also piercing of the skin. Um, now th- this is all done as a personal sacrifice. Uh, a sacrifice for, like I said, future safety and good things. Now, in the case of this particular Sundance, this is already done in the context of like, shit's already going down. The winter campaign already happened. The war is on, right? So this Sundance is very important. Uh, for a lot of the people involved, the sacrifices that they're putting on is mu- are much more steep than they would be in any other point. It's much more important to them because they really want, according to the religious beliefs, the, the safety for their people going forward because they know that this campaign is going to come back. Like They know war is coming back to them. Yeah. Of course. And uh, we, we, if there's one thing about uh, shitty American imperialism, it is very dogged. It, it does not go away when it gets punched in the face. Um, now, we do actually have firsthand accounts of someone that was there. A guy named Standing Bear said, quote, the chief sitting bull was the leader of the Sundance. From every band, some came to dance. There were many people dancing here. Most of the Sioux Nation was there, except some of the ones around the agency or the the agency being like the reservation. Mm -hmm. They danced for two days. The chief sent scouts all over guarding the sacred place to make sure they would not be disturbed. Now, this is a very, very big event, and it drew more people than normal from the surrounding areas to take part, eventually forming around 15,000 people strong, like strong in a village ish temporary village uh, situation they either took part in the sacrifices themselves or watched as chief sitting bull hacked 50 pieces of his own flesh off an offering some accounts say he was up to 100 all while he was dancing um now he danced throughout the day and night and eventually passed out from i assume a combination of exhaustion and blood loss <laughs> from from you know everything we just described yeah he was unconscious for hours, which was probably a cause of concern for a lot of people there. But he eventually <laughs> shot back awake, wide-eyed, and said that he had a prophecy that he had just seen he needs to share with everybody. He had a vision of soldiers attacking the village, but they and their horses were upside down with their feet towards the sky. To him, this meant the soldiers were dead. He interpreted this vision as an indication of their victory over the soldiers during the coming war. This gave them peace and hope that uh, the warriors would defeat the Americans. Soon, word got out, and it spread further and further, and as people came back towards the village, swelling even more, with more and more warriors and weapons and training, because prophecy told them they're going to win. You want to know where this village was, Francis? Where was this village? It was on the shores of the Greasy Grass River, or by the name of the white people, the Little Bighorn. Hmm. And that is what we'll pick up <laughs> next time. We need to we need to add a dun 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 uh, yeah, sound that's clip. True. I don't have one. I'll work on that. I'll get that in there. That is part two, Francis. And things are about to get <laughs> things are about depending to get. on who you are. Very <laughs> funny. <laughs> she's gonna she's gonna uh, little your big horn in just a minute, buddy. <laughs> when you're littling the big horn. Oh, God damn it. Thanks. Uh, (laughs) 
I really like I really like our offset to my my doom uh, doom inspiring ending uh, is that it's a, a a dick joke. I was trying and to make a, <laughs> I was trying to make a who need their big ussy eight, but that just didn't kind of work out. God damn it! Who need their cuss? You know what? Let's just Francis, stop there. thank you for just... joining me in part two. Uh, this, this is the area where you get to plug your show. So plug your show. Good lord! Does anybody really want to come listen to my show after this? Uh, I I am on uh, what a hell of a way to die with Nate, who does the uh, who does all of the editing of every good podcast on the internet right now. The poor bastard that puts up with all of my fuck ups. Bless his heart. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you like what we do, consider subscribing to the show on Patreon. You get uh, bonus stuff, access to the Discord, access to. I guess we can call it a premium series over on Patreon, where me, Francis, and our. <laughs> Fake podcast attorney uh, shocks watch HBO's Rome. Hell yeah. Um, Great show. Fantastic. Loving it. It's about to yeah. get real bad, but I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> and uh, if you don't have money, consider leaving us a review. Or if you do have money, it's your money. Do what you want. But relieving a review is free. It helps us with algorithmic based reasons that I'm just not sure why. But it does. It makes, it makes Google happy. Let's make yeah, Google yeah. happy for Joe. You have to please the iTunes gods. Joe's got to um, dance around the podcast studio, cutting off uh, 50 chunks of flesh to appease the algorithm. I'm going to dance under the blazing heat, cutting myself with like a butter knife uh, while tripping balls and hallucinogens to make the gods happy where I might have a week off one time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what would the what would like the Midwest version of that be? Just like cutting. Oh, cutting it's cut, a bonfire party. It's just a yeah, bonfire it's a, party. It's a bonfire party. You're drunk on some MD 2020 or you've uh, you've just done um, speed for the first time. Somebody showed up with like some a white powder that you're not exactly sure what it is, but everybody seems like they're having fun. Yeah, see, if we could, uh, and this is you I know, kind of killed Midwest. a guy in my high school. <laughs> Everybody's just like it's just everybody really high on spice. <laughs> it's just stripping naked and screaming through the woods. <laughs> yeah, actually, to appease the gods, you need to get really high on spice and eat somebody's face. <laughs> Uh, like a, a pagan or like animalist or spiritualist Midwestern belief would be getting so fucking high off your tits that you uh, drink a three liter of Fago mixed with pop off until you fight a cop. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Francis, thank you so much. Everybody, thank you again. And we'll see you on part three, the conclusion of the Battle of the Little Bighorn.